0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Greetings, one and all. It's Fantasy NBA Today. It's Wednesday, January the 4th. We're rolling into another day of fantasy basketball. And we are now... Where the hell are we now? We're like... We're almost halfway through the season, people. We're actually getting pretty damn close. And for you head to headers, it's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to say without sounding weird. You head to headers. You guys are more than halfway to your to the start at least of your fantasy playoffs. Which, man, that's crazy. But we keep trucking along because we got a lot of things to cover. We got a slate, small one to look back on with a couple of really key. Uh, tidbits, many of them injury-related, but whatever, it still counts. And then, uh, I wanted to spend just a minute kind of discussing this time of year, because we've turned into 2023, and honestly, I think we can even begin with that on today's podcast. And it does change the way that you analyze your team, or it should, at the very least. If it's not right now, uh, it should. So... The main thing is, this is a different strategy depending on if you're in a Roto or a head-to-head league. You guys know me. I far prefer Roto. Far prefer. But I play in head-to-head leagues as well because I think it's important that I do both, mostly so that I can host a podcast and speak confidently about both types of leagues because there are differences in how you approach them. Someone like... uh. A Kawhi Leonard could never be drafted in a head-to-head league. In a roto league, obviously it's still not panning out so far, but it is certainly getting closer. I know he missed a ball game with an injury or an illness, but that's not a huge deal. He'll be back from that. And as he's settling in now, Kawhi, more like a top 50 play the last couple of weeks. He's starting to look more and more like Kawhi Leonard. Shooting the ball better. The only thing that really hasn't come around yet is... Steals and blocks, and I would argue perhaps a couple more shots per ball game. But we, you know, we can wait and see on that one. Point is, you knew getting into whatever, getting into that bad at the beginning of the year on NBA fantasy draft night that if you're in a head-to-head league, you can't draft a guy who's basically targeting like 62 out of 82 games played. That's like a good scenario. A good scenario for Kawhi would have been like. 62 games a great scenario would have been like 65 or 66 and an average one is like high 50s which probably still won't he won't get to high 50s i don't think so we'll undershoot that mark but again you can kind of survive that on the roto side you keep them stashed you got him in the mid third round or whatever it was it's not going to completely break your team the way that it does on the head-to-head side because you've been taking up an injured list slot for the first six weeks of the season uh, and then this uh, this sort of on-again, off-again thing, you can't put him, unless you have an IL-plus spot, but that's still not heavily utilized in leagues. And the Yahoo public leagues, which I think is sort of your standard settings, they don't have them. But you knew that. We all knew that getting into the season. If you went the Kawhi Leonard route, it had to be on the Roto side. There are other guys where you would certainly lean in that direction, like Kristaps Porzingis was someone you probably looked at more so on the Roto side. Now, as it turns out, he's actually been healthy this year, but that wasn't something you could count on on the head-to-head side. And frankly, the whole head-to-head versus Roto draft day discussion is a bit overblown, except as it relates to sort of a target number of games played. But now we're at the midway point. That was the past. This is the present. And now, we have to start looking at our head-to-head and our roto teams in a new light. And the reason I'm doing it today is not because today is any sort of special day for all of this stuff. It's just, you know, we're into January, and there are only three games to go over on yesterday's card. So I think we can we can take this little divergence. Or diversion, I guess. It's both. We're going to diverge from the plan and we're going to talk about something that's a little off the beaten path. Let's start with the Roto side, because you guys know I love Roto the most. And then we'll talk about head-to-head as well. What should you do with your Roto team right now that maybe you hadn't been doing in November and perhaps most of December? Well, now that we are nearing the halfway point, we're a little bit shy of it. It's, I think Basketball Monster has us at 46% of the way through the season, but we're certainly closing in on it. Now that we're nearing the halfway point, and let's just, for argument's sake, say we are at the halfway point because today makes a really—it's a really easy way to to just simplify today's discussion. What I need you to do as you're listening to this podcast right now is I need you to go into your Roto standings and don't just look at where you are on the board— and don't just look at where you are and then how many games played you've used up. Because that's 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 like the simple way that we all were probably doing it for the first two months of the season. And that's fine. You want to make sure that your games played number is not ridiculously high or ridiculously low. And you want to make shen- make certain that your team's ranking is reasonable. And you're watching where you sit in the different the nine different categories or eight different categories or whatever you're playing in, and you're sort of getting an idea for what your team actually is. By this point, with the exception of Chris Middleton, basically, who's like the one injured guy who hasn't really played this year, but we're all still waiting on, all the other injured guys either got hurt after playing some, like an Anthony Davis or a Steph Curry or a Devin Booker, or have been ruled out, like a Cade Cunningham. Chris Middleton's the one guy left where you're like, well, I still don't really know what my team's going to look like when he plays. Well, too bad. At this point, just assume he's not playing. He probably will, but for this argument, for this discussion we're having, we have to just kind of assume he's not playing. So this is what your team is. And I need you to do this exercise with me as we're talking about it on the podcast, because this is how we figure it out. I want you all to open up an Excel spreadsheet. If you have one on your computer, a Google Sheet would also likely do the trick. I happen to think that it's a little bit easier to do some of the uh, sorting and math stuff in traditional Excel. But if you're a Google Sheet whiz, then fine, that works as well. Open up your Excel or Google Sheet and start plugging in not just your own team, but all 12 teams in your league or 14 or whatever the number is for your league. I'm, you know, again, it's one podcast, it's one Twitter account, whatever. I can't I can't talk about every single league type. So we're just going to go with 12 team 9 cat for now. Plug in all 12 teams in your league, list them all by name. And then what I need you to do is I need you to set up math equations to calculate not the totals, but the averages. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I don't think I've ever gone quite into this much detail as to how to set it up. Field goal percent, free throw percent, you can just plug in those percentages because, you know, you don't really know. Uh, It's uh, kind of impossible to know exactly how many field goals made out of field goal attempt uh, you have in your Roto League. I don't think that Yahoo shows that stuff. Or at least if they do, I haven't done nearly enough digging to find it. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. For the other categories, the seven counting categories, I need you to set up math equations in each column that puts the total number in that column over the number of games played so that everyone in your league... On your Excel spreadsheet, you will be able to sort by the average number of points per games cap. That's basically what you're figuring out now. Points per games cap, rebounds per games cap, and so on and so forth, all the way down the board, assist steals, blocks, and turnovers, per games cap game played. And I get it. Maybe you've used more center games than guard games, Maybe you've and vice versa. Perhaps... But again, let's assume for argument's sake that you've been doing a pretty good job of kind of every spot on your roster is about the same amount either ahead or behind in the games cap strategy section, which is what I've tried to do. I'm like six or seven games behind in uh, guards, forwards, centers, and utility. So it's like two to three-ish at every starting slot, basically. That's fine. Comes out to, you know, 20 to 30 behind. Not a big deal. 20-some-odd. Which, I don't even think that's really 20 to 30 behind. It's, you know, they're grading it out. It doesn't matter. Point is, there will be those little tweaks, but those are very small because most of the teams in your league are probably running up on about 400 games played right now. 350 to 400, somewhere in that range, based on where we are in the season. That's a now a large enough sample size where if you had used you know six extra games at center versus six extra games at guard. Yeah, maybe it does swing the rebounding blocks the teeny tiniest bit, but this is what your team is. And here's why this is important. Those of you, you some of you probably already know where I'm going with this discussion. This is important because this is actually how you gain ground on other teams in your league. If you just do nothing, your team will likely continue to be what it already is. If you make shrewd waiver wire pickups, you can tweak some of your numbers, but those are not the guys that are going to be really putting their thumb on the scales, the way that the top dudes on your team are. You know? Like, if you go out, and just to use last night as an example, if you go out and pick up Denny Avia right now, which, by the way, I think you should. I don't mean to bury the lead on this one. Bradley Beal re-injured his hamstring. They're going to be real, real careful with him now. Uh, so Avdi has probably got you know two to I would think two or more weeks where he's going to be a really nice fantasy play. but what does that even mean? You know 12 to four, 15 points per game, six to eight rebounds, like four assists, a steal. This is good stuff, but it's not top 25. it's probably not even top 40. It's probably not even top 50 maybe Avdia has a two-week run where he sits in, like, the 60 to 80 range. And that's good. That's useful. But two weeks of Denny Avdia at top 75 or whatever the hell we want to pin him at is not going to dramatically change your team's fortunes in rebounds or steals or blocks or whatever it is. Like, you know, maybe you move up one uh, in steals and then perhaps you fall back down the way that you start to see what your team can actually gain legitimate ground in is to figure out the averages. And I'll tell you why. Because the other teams in your league almost definitely are not doing this thing, unless you're in like the multi-thousand dollar leagues. This is where we're going to out-hustle the other teams on the Roto side. If you're in that top five on the Roto and you're feeling okay about your team, this is the way that you squeeze roto points in a way that other teams simply won't be doing. Say you line up all 12. And again, it's important to do a math problem because what you're going to end up doing is every week or so, you're going to want to update the totals numbers and then your Excel spreadsheet can just do the math for you. You might run the numbers. And, and this is why the games played thing is, is so screwball. 20, 30 games played at 350 games it doesn't feel like that much anymore but it can really confuse the standings it can really confuse the standings i'm trying to find a, a good example of one of my own teams where this is the case blocks are pretty easy because they're the lowest number on the board you know if you're 10 blocks behind somebody you can very easily look over and see what the game's played and figure out if this is something you can make up pretty quickly. But the other stuff is actually really confusing. You might be 600 points behind another team in your Roto League, which feels like kind of insurmountable. You might be 600 points behind like five or six different teams in your Roto League, and some of them have uh, a games-played edge, and some of them don't. And so you're trying to figure out, and this is the really important part, what happens to my team... If I do nothing, okay, are you following me on this one? Right now, I've said, I've pointed at your screen, I've said, hey, this is basically what your team is if it does nothing. But what I didn't say was, this is your team's rank if you do nothing. This is, these are the numbers your team is putting up. But you don't, until you look at the averages, you don't really know what that translates to. Until you look at the averages, you don't really know what that translates to. And the reason I bring this up is that you might learn good news. You might also (laughs) learn bad news from looking at the averages of every team in your league. Because then you can sort by averages and figure out how many roto points your team would actually have. This is what this actually will do for you. If every single team had played the exact same number of games played at this exact moment, which basically then says, if everybody in the league makes no big changes to their team between now and the end of the season, this is where we'll actually finish by ranking. And the fun part of all this is, and this is something that happens to me basically annually in like probably half to two-thirds of my Roto Leagues, is I lay all these numbers out by averages and I realize that My team is like, I don't know, ranked like third in rebounding or something crazy like that. But in actuality, if I just let the numbers play themselves out, I'm only like a tenth of a rebound per game behind like four other teams. And those teams might not really notice it. Because they're spread wide. And they've got 30, 40 games caps in between them and some of them, the one that's in front might actually be the one that's at the bottom and so on and so forth. But the beauty part is you might look at the board and see that you're like 200 rebounds behind a team that you want to pass. But if you're looking at the averages, you might notice that you really only need to improve your team's rebounding by like a tenth of a board per games cap to jump over three or four teams. It doesn't have to be this seismic shift. It might look like one. See, that's the thing. There's this, there's this perception versus reality thing that goes on with this with the totals versus averages game and on a roto standings board where it might look like you need to make this big shift into rebounding. I'm using rebounds as an example. When in actuality, maybe you only need to like take your 11th best player and bench them in favor of your 12th best player. Like, maybe you have a guy on your bench that's actually getting nine, eight or nine rebounds per game, but you haven't really been using them because maybe the other stuff they do isn't all that useful for your team. But, you know, instead, you've been rolling someone out there who's actually ranked, by averages, better, the better player. But, you know, for like two weeks, maybe you bench the slightly better player to put in the one that gives you that little bump. And then all of a sudden, you're ahead of those other teams in averages. You just gained like three roto points from this subtle end of bench move on your team. And that's where those little things can make a difference because a little thing is not going to get you 200 rebounds. But if everything played out and all you really needed at the end of the season was like eight, that's a pretty easy change to make. Even 80, frankly, The other thing you can do on the roto front is if there's something you really want to pivot into, this is where you can start to look at trades that have a really big ROI. If you do the averages and you find out that you're you know, second from the bottom in scoring or something like that, that does often happen with our old man squad teams. And you have someone on your team whose main feature is how much they score a basketball. That player becomes fairly expendable for your team. This also happens pretty much annually in like half of my Roto leagues. You may come across a team that doesn't need three-pointers, but you've been starting Tim Hardaway Jr. every week. Trade them. If you're second from the bottom, or even drop some of these guys, that's the other thing. I like trades because this is a time of year in Roto where you can actually trade down. Actually, on head-to-head side as well. You can actually trade down in value, but improve your team. Because right now, it's all about shifting into categorical needs. You are no longer hunting for best player in a vacuum. That doesn't make sense anymore. If you're looking at your head-to-head team, you got to figure out five out of nine categories that you can guarantee yourself a win in and start to lean into those, provided you're in playoff position. If you're not, you probably need to still continue to win more games. On the roto side, figure out where you can gain points without losing that much. If you're, again, second from the bottom in blocks, you have a couple of choices. You could either lean into it to try to gain a whole bunch of stuff, or if you have one guy in your team that's actually like a pretty good shot blocker but doesn't do much else for you, dump him. You could drop him. You could trade him. Those guys don't end up... That's the soft punt now. You guys know on the on shows over the past few years, I've actually referred to not as a punt, but a give-up. You didn't come into the season trying to be second from the bottom in scoring. It just happened. You just ended up with a team that doesn't score the basketball all that well, but your team's pretty good at a lot of other stuff. But you know what? They could use a little bit of help in big man stats. Great. Take that guy on your team that scores the basketball well, which isn't helping you right now, trade him. You lose as much as one point in the scoring department because you're second from the bottom. The potential loss is so small, there's almost no risk. You trade a scorer, a top 60, 70-type scorer on your team, for like a top 80 big man, and maybe you gain a point in rebounds, a point in blocks, and a point in field goal percent. Perhaps you traded down, but ended up gaining two roto points. This is a very easy thing to pull off, because you are now able to go to the other team and just say, look, I'm willing to give you the better player. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. You like you can look at all the news and think that I'm trying to screw with you, but I'm not. I just, this is a category that I no longer need. If you're just straight with other people in your league, especially if you're not in first place right now on the Roto side, this also makes this a much easier thing to do. No one wants to trade with the first place team because they figure that they're pulling the wool over them on something. If you're like fourth or fifth place and you go to the, another team that's like mostly competitive and you're just like, hey, Let me give you this top 50 player, and all I want is your top 65 guy back. I'm not trying to sell high on you. I'm trying to make this a one-for-one trade where you get the better player, but I get some categories that I really need. Most teams are not vindictive enough to say no in a situation like that. Every once in a while, you'll get an an opposing manager that's like, hell no, I'm not going to give you the categories you need because I'm an asshole. But most of the time, the other manager is going to be like, okay, sweet, yeah, like I, I want the better guy. Cool, good for my team. Everything is me, me, me. So it makes it a really easy way to trade. And this is actually a really nice point to cross over into the head-to-head side of this discussion, which is this is where you should probably, again, let's make sure you're in viable playoff position, which you might not be if you're hanging around right on the bubble. You probably can't go into a hard punt build because you have to make sure you're winning or give yourself the opportunity to win Six to three, seven to two every once in a while, as opposed to if you're winning five to four or losing five to four every single week, you're not going to gain ground and then you're not going to make the playoffs. But if you're in like first through fourth place right now and there's a little bit of cushion, you can afford to basically go 500 the rest of the way, most likely. And the way that you do that is by starting to lean into a punt build partway through the season. I don't like punting in head-to-head from the beginning of the year because it does make it really hard to rack up big individual weekly wins. And that's the way that you get to the top of the board in head-to-head. The team that wins 5-4 every single week is probably not going to be first or second place. And you guys know how much I value the first round by. You need to be able to have those 7-2 wins. They have to show up every once in a while. Maybe even scratch out an 8-1 win if you play a team where like four or five of their guys are on the injured list. You have to be able to get those. And the way you get those is by being competitive in as many categories as humanly possible. But once your playoff spot is locked up, you have a choice. If you have the resources to go into a like hard, like two or three category punt build, I think you can do it right now. I don't think uh, punting four is really tough. Your margin for error becomes so razor thin, especially if you're counting on uh, a category that fluctuates, like, like blocks or something like that. What if your big guys just have a week where they don't block shots and the whole thing comes crashing down? You, you have to give yourself just a tiny bit of wiggle room that way. But I actually think on the head-to-head side, this is the time to lean into the strength categories. How do you do that? Same way we just talked about on the roto side. Trade away the players on your team that are bringing you categories you don't need and acquire players that shore up the ones that you're already good at and make your team basically unbeatable in them. This is the time. And again, you can trade down to pull it off, which makes those trades very easy to do compared to most trades, which basically never happen. And we'll try to do some work, I think, over on the social side with kind of individual scenarios here. uh, Because it's really hard to try to cover everything that you could do on a podcast. Just suffice it to say, figure out what your team is pretty damn good at. Figure out the guys that aren't really contributing to it. And then go look at the board, the ranking board. Find someone who's like one round lower who is good at the things you need and offer it up. A lot of times, it's gonna work. Okie dokie. Let's look back at the three games yesterday. Oh, by the way, hi, I'm Dan Besbris at D A N B E S B R I S. We really launched right into that stuff headlong, didn't we? Well, you know what? Screw you all. I do the podcast how I want. Uh, do do please follow me on Twitter. Shout out, by the way, to the good folks at Ethos Fantasy BK clearing the nine thousand followers mark. That's cool uh it should be way the hell higher than that they do unbelievable work it's the best fantasy news feed out there i don't want to hear about underdog because they don't have any analysis and they don't have any sources and so yeah cool they also stop doing stuff after like 5 p.m. pacific time unless someone gets badly hurt in a ball game they don't have results from it uh so yeah maybe they get stuff out faster uh but that's because they're just copying and pasting from the, uh, the beat writers that they're not sourcing. Yeah, I got beef with it, man. Sorry, underdog. I got beef with the way you're running your feed, man. You should be sourcing it. That'd be really useful, actually, for the followers. Then they'd know who they should be following. Who are the beat writers that are putting out this information? It's not magic. I follow most of them. Anyway. Uh, Ethos Fantasy BK. They source it, man. It's a really good way to do it. And they give you fantasy analysis to boot. Source your work, world. Source your work. To be fair, I do use underdog uh, when I need to look back at stuff really quickly. Like what's happened in the hour that I was gone. Um, but source it. I think that's a reasonable ask. I'm not being a butthead about it. Well, anyway, let's talk about three ball games yesterday. Boston gave up 150 to the Shayless Thunder. And then Malcolm Brogdon came out, and he was like, yeah, we basically didn't take them seriously, and then they stomped on our faces. Uh, OKC shot almost 60% in this ballgame. That's crazy. Trey Mann had 21. Giddy had 25. He's always going to be good when Shea sits. Jalen Williams has been good lately with no Poku and no Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Even Lou Dort shot the ball well. Aaron Wiggins had 17. Isaiah Joe had 21. They had five players with 20 points or more. Six players with 17 points or more, seven in double figures, and other Jalen Williams was a bucket away from getting into double digits himself. The only bad story was Mike (laughs) Muscala. I don't care. He had five fouls in 13 minutes. Oh, Mike Muscala. Nah. Here's the thing. I'm joking. I'm laughing about it. uh, But the main thing here is that when Shea sits, Giddy is an easy play, who, by the way, hasn't really been fantasy friendly when Shea's been in there. And then Jalen Williams, as much as lately I've said, I'm trying to avoid the OKC roulette. wheel. you guys have heard me talk about it for like a week now. With Pokaszewski out and Robinson Earl out, Williams has had enough to do. It's a usage thing. It's not just a minutes thing that he's been good enough uh, to play in fantasy leagues. Over on the Boston side, you know, if, if your Celtic survived this game, call it a win. Brogdon and Jason Tatum had decent ball games, and everybody else was... Um, pretty bad. I know Jalen Brown had 29 points, but he did nothing else and bad free throw shooting. Al Horford was particularly invisible. It actually ended up as a good thing that Robert Williams didn't play because at least then he didn't get burned. Marcus Smart had a bad one. He got ejected. Rough day. And people are like, what's happened to Al Horford? I mean, every freaking time he has one bad ball game, I got to hear the same crap over and over again. I'm so sick of the Al Horford stuff. He's still inside the top 70. And so- uh, yeah, obviously, this was a really bad game, okay, we don't do this with everybody that has one bad ball game. I don't understand it i don't i <sighs> the other guys ranked around Al Horford on the season right now, uh, not total talking so per game stuff because Al's actually been missed what four or five games at some point earlier this year um. Uh, Are like Jalen Brunson. He's 65. Is anybody asking if they should drop Jalen Brunson when he has one bad ball game? Christian Wood didn't get dropped and he had two months of bad ball games. I get it. These guys score more than Big Al does. We drafted him for a particular reason. He's a low turnover, efficiency guy. Please stop. You're driving me nuts. The game that actually had the most interesting fantasy stuff was this middle one, if you want to call it that. I guess it started at the same time as the first one, or like 20 seconds later. Uh, Giannis at 55, Brook Lopez, huge double-double with six blocks that rocketed our buddy Brolo back up the board to number 20. He'd fallen as far as 24, so I'm being a tiny bit facetious here, but there he is, second rounder by averages, first rounder. By totals for Brolo, he's played in 36 ballgames, but that's not the point here. You're not not—you're not interested in me telling you about the guys that are ranked at the top of the board. You're interested in me telling you about what we should do with the rest of our crap right now. And on the Washington side in particular, Bradley Beal has to be the story. He tweaked his hammy again, or he just felt soreness in it midway through the second quarter, pulled himself out of the ball game, and now they're going to be real gentle with him. Because this is what, like three times he's tried to come back from this thing and it hasn't really worked? Twice? Denny Avdia is an ad immediately. He's been wonderful every time Beal has missed ball games. Monte Morris has been kind of like a 50-50 proposition, so I would plop him a bit more safely in the schedule. Stream department makes more sense on the head-to-head than games cap side. I think Avdia, and I know the Wizards don't have a good schedule the rest of this week, so you kind of have to squat on this for head-to-head regardless, but for Roto, uh, I love Avdia in the next whatever stretch this is for Bradley Beal. I've gotten some DeLon Wright questions. He's turned himself into this like steals-only play, which is worth something. But again, I think you have to gravitate more to the head-to-head side because two steals per game is, is fantastic, but he's literally doing nothing else. Even I have a lower barrier for what I'm okay with, the whole nothing else thing. It's got to be like a little bit. There's just been nothing. So I like DeLon Wright, I love him for the steals, but that's really all you're going to get, so you need to sort of deploy him where it makes sense. I, maybe it does, maybe maybe like we just talked about, uh, on your Roto standings board, you're like .01 behind three teams in steals per game, and a week of DeLon Wright would fix that, even if he hurts you in some other stuff. Okay, but in a vacuum? Nah. And then Daniel Gafford, who left this ballgame with about a minute to go with a sore arm, and we really have almost nothing on it. Uh, I was reaching out to Wizards people on Twitter last night. They don't even really know what the status is on Gafford, so we're going to roll with him as questionable for now. But he played 29 minutes again! He's been incredible while he's been in there. Game they lost by 10, Gafford was only a minus 4. Beal was a plus 4. They were actually putting together an okay ball game before Beal went down. And I think these are the kind of games where you need your big-time scoring guy. So, yeah, Washington, you know, they've been playing well. They're beating other kind of middling, mediocre to middling teams without Beal, but they're not going to be the good ones without him. But the reason they're more competitive these days is largely Daniel Gafford. The gafford Porzingis back line of the defense has a lot of teeth to it. I think Gafford is a must-own, must-start play, and he has been for a week now, Uh, so don't veer off course there. And then Rui Hachimura is the other name worth mentioning. He's, as I've mentioned, played a bit better lately. He'll be better again with Beal out, but he profiles much more as a points league kind of option and just sort of keep that in mind. The final game yesterday on the short card, Sacramento beat Utah De'Aaron Fox a game-winner. Larry Markinen, his return game-winner was just a fraction of a second too late and Utah lost another buzzer beater. Tough times are these for the Jazz. They can sort of make themselves feel better by saying, well, look, like, we're losing, what are they, they've lost, like, five games in a row by a total of 15 points or something crazy like that. Okay, like, you swing all those in the other direction, this is a very different stretch for Utah, but they are now the 10 seed, and they're only a, what, game and a half up on the Thunder, the Lakers, only one game up on the Wolves. We need the Jazz to win, because that will keep Kelly Olenek, who picked up five more fouls yesterday. He's got to get himself out of this foul situation, but he's a hold. And Mike Conley, who's been much, much better the last like week, week and a half after basically doing nothing, he really refused to get involved in the offense when he first came back from injury. Conley, by the way, plus 11 in a game they just lost. If you're wondering, he steers the ship. Jordan Clarkson, a minus 15. I know. It sounds like I have beef with collection. I really don't. He's just like, he really does nothing besides score. And sometimes kind of inefficiently. He's a points league guy too. Jared Vanderbilt had his once every few games better one. 14-9, couple assists, steal and block, good percentages in this one. Walker Kessler down to just 17 minutes. Yes, that is a bit disconcerting. I think that'll happen when Vanderbilt plays better. But lucky for us, Kessler still had three defensive stats. He made his two free throws, heaven forbid, and seven rebounds. So he still kind of did the stuff we were hoping for. He's a hold. Vanderbilt's a hold. Linux a hold. All these guys that I'm probably going to get asked whether or not they're holds. And then Malik Beasley, who I talked about on social media yesterday, uh, with Colin Sexton out, he does seem to have enough to do. And I think you can feel somewhat confident with Beasley as kind of a lower-end injury replacement play. And then for the Kings, it's the same stuff, man. Nothing's changed for that team in eight weeks. Keegan Murray at least had five rebounds in this ballgame. If he could actually rebound, if he got to five boards per game, he'd probably be a fantasy startable asset. But he just there really has been nothing since other than three-point shooting. It gets you some threes. That's kind of been it the whole year. Those rebounds would be a big deal. I don't expect them to continue, but eh, keep an eye on it, I guess. And that's your very short Tuesday recap. Um, You guys did mention uh, hoping that I could do kind of like a lightning round of what I'm looking for on the upcoming card. So let's just blitz through this giant Wednesday, and I'll tell you what we're watching for. Indy, not a whole lot. I think we feel, I do at least, much more confident of what those kind of fringe guys are, and they're more schedule-streamy. Joel Embiid is questionable. This time it's with foot soreness. I think he's going to play. He's been playing through stuff so far this year, and Philly looks really good lately, but I guess you never know. If he sits basketball, Paul Paul Reed would be your injury replacement play. Otherwise... Nothing really on the Phillies' side. Phoenix, I expect Landry Shamet to have a much better ball game here. Cleveland's still a good defensive team, mind you, and this is the lowest total on the board because of Cleveland. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it's not the world's best time to deploy your fringy Phoenix Suns like Torrey Craig or Landry Shamet, but they'll be better than they were when the team put up whatever it was, 83 points in New York a couple days ago. Can Donovan Mitchell come anywhere near a follow-up performance? My guess would be no. It's really hard for these guys to come back after, like, the world-class record-breaking game and then do the same thing the next night. But I guess you never know. Uh, Nothing else really other than the same stuff. If Evan Mobley does not go, then uh, you go Kevin Love. Easy enough. Memphis, mm, nothing. I think everybody's in for Memphis right now. I hadn't heard anything otherwise, uh, or everybody that's relevant. Charlotte, Kelly Oubre, down for four to six weeks with injury or with surgery. They revealed that uh, it was an injury he's been playing with since the first week of the season, which really screams tank. And that's another reason why yesterday we talked a bunch about do we want to get out in front of it with Dennis Smith Jr. Jalen McDaniels has a really, really open path. He'll be starting... And then, I don't know. I mean, does this finally get Terry Rozier going? We'll see. This will be a tough matchup. OKC. I'm going to assume that Shea will be back for this one on the back to back. He's been sitting out half of their back to back with whatever random ailment they decide to throw on the injury board. Yesterday was illness. Sometimes it's back, sometimes it's knee. It's nothing, folks. It's nothing. It's rest. But, you know, they just, I think they want to get fined or something. Uh, which knocks everybody down a whole bunch of pegs with uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander back in there. Um, the the Jalen Williams stuff probably still startable. It's just not my favorite. Orlando, they still have a bunch of guys serving suspensions. I'm I'm mostly dodging the Magic stuff until we get a little more clarity on what they're going to look like. But we might see Jalen Suggs, actually, in this ballgame. So that's something to keep watch on. San Antonio, who's in, who's out? It's a tough matchup, too. The Knicks playing good defense these days. Can Keldon Johnson keep the good shooting going? What is Jeremy Sohan? Keeping an eye on Jakob Purtle mostly just because I want to see him succeed. New York, uh, I think we know, you know, five starters right now are all playing gigantic minutes, so that's an easy one. Milwaukee, no big surprises. Drew Holiday expected to sit this one out on the back-to-back, but there hasn't really been an obvious replacement for him. Toronto, nothing. Portland, uh, Gary Payton is the guy to watch. See what his minutes look like, see what his fantasy game looks like. Minnesota, slow-mo. Nas Reed. Is D'Angelo Russell back in there? I think the answer is likely yes to uh, all those guys that sat out the last one, but we'll kind of wait and see, uh, and if there are any possible Jalen Noel sightings. Houston, nothing. New Orleans, Zion out. Ingram out. Nance, doubtful. You kind of have to go Trey Murphy and Herb Jones. Brooklyn, they're just cruising now. T.J. Warren, you can keep an eye on his mints. Chicago, nothing. Miami, uh, nothing really. Duncan Robinson got ruled out, but he hasn't basically been a factor in a while. Lakers, LeBron, Thomas Robin- or Thomas uh, Bryant. Sorry, Thomas Robinson. Thomas Bryant. I-, I don't think that I would extend beyond this. Miami really clamped down on the Lakers, forcing turnovers the last time these two teams played. So we'll see if that uh, factors in. Heater favored by a bunch, and LeBron is questionable, which... Kind of makes me feel like LeBron's going to take one off and like maybe call this more of a schedule loss, but I guess we'll see. Atlanta, no Capella, so Okongwu just keep it going. Sacramento, nothing. Detroit, yuck. Detroit's back to yuck mode. But you, know, you can keep streaming Alec Burks if you want. And then Golden State, you can keep streaming Dante DiVincenzo. And that's kind of what I'm looking at on the card this evening. And that's where we'll put a pin in it. I uh, want to remind everybody once again to please do follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Drop a five star review on the pod if you haven't already. And uh, follow Ethos Fantasy BK as well. Should be a fun one tonight. Massive, massive card. We'll handle the rest over on social, and I will talk to you guys over there. Next show tomorrow morning. We'll yell at you then. So long, everybody.